always appreciative of the band. They let me play. I know two songs on the piano, and I just played both. Um, so that was amazing. I can play chopsticks, but um, we couldn't really find a way to work that into worship. So that's awesome. Um, I did something interesting on, on Facebook and Instagram this week. Some of you may have participated. Um, it was interesting and, and heartbreaking at the same time. And I'm going to ask everyone in this room to, to do it as well. Um, I want you, and, and don't, don't say it out loud, don't say it out loud. I want you to describe yourself in one word. Say it out loud. Now, now let, let me, let me kind of do a little disclaimer. I know you're in church, but you don't have to be fake. So you don't have to say, blessed, happy, blessed, excited, thankful. Now, if that's you, that's awesome. And I'm so excited that you're here. But let's strip away the religious veneer and get real. Because I saw it this week on social media. I read through the comments, and I was, like, brokenhearted because I saw comments like, alone, damaged, scared, worthless. I mean, it was, it, it got, I didn't, I didn't expect it. I, I literally had to sit down several times as I was scrolling through and catch my breath because here's why. I know what it's like to feel all those things. I know what it's like to feel alone. I know what it's like to feel afraid. I know what it's like to be filled with doubt or fear or feel damaged or, or like a piece of trash. Like I, I get that, but as I read through what people were dealing with, it absolutely broke my heart. So I want you to kind of take that one word, I want you to take that one word, and I want you to kind of put it to the side because we're going to come back to this one word that you feel maybe describes you a little bit because hopefully by the end of the service, we're going to replace it with a word that's accurate for everyone um, that is in Christ. So hold that word. Let me go into a story. Um, one of the things that I've learned in life is we don't truly um, appreciate something until we, until we understand it. And when we understand it, we can appreciate it. Point in case, um, some of you are going to have to Google this, but some of you will remember, um, workouts in America changed with the invention of the Sony Walkman. And, and some, of you some of you had a Sony. Some of you probably still have one. Um, but the Sony Walkman, you could put your cassette tape in it, right? Um, how many remember eight-track tapes. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Dear God, we're old. Okay, so, so <laughs> this wasn't an eight-track. This is a cassette tape. You put the cassette tape in it. You could listen to the Rocky soundtrack and Eye of the Tiger and all that stuff. But then, but then came the CD player. And y'all remember that thing? It skipped, right? And so you're trying to work out, and you're running, and it's skipping all over the place, and you're cussing, um, and, and that's fine. You can admit that here. Um, and, so, and so then they came out with an anti-skip CD player. Remember that? And you put it on your side, and it kind of looked like you're walking in with a VCR. Um, it was like humongous, and like you're walking with a limp. Um, you had to work out just to carry the CD player. So I remember I was complaining about that, and I had a buddy of mine, true story. He said, hey, man, you need to get an iPod. And I was like, what is an iPod? Now, some of you don't know life without an iPod. But I'm pre-iPod. And, and so I was like, what is an iPod? And he said, dude, it holds a 1,000 songs on one device. And I had two questions. I was like, number, number one, why would anyone want a 1,000 songs? And now I've, I've well exceeded that number. I said, but number two, why would I get an iPod when I got a CD player? I did. I told him that. I was like, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then, 
A few days later, I'm in the gym, and I see somebody with this little bitty device, um, and it had like this tracking wheel on it. You know? And so I walked up to him. I said, excuse me, sir. Um, I couldn't help but notice um, that looks like, um, is, is that an iPod? And he said, it's totally an iPod. And I said, well, like, walk me through it. And he walked me through it. By the end of our 15 minutes together, I walked out, and guess where I went? Bought an iPod. You know why? Because I understood it. I'm like, this is awesome. When you understand something, it's easier to appreciate it. Would you agree? Yeah. So that's the way it is with me and the Lord's Supper. Because for years, for years, I didn't understand why we did this right here. My mother took me to church from the time I was born, right, pretty much, until I was 11 years old. And the church I grew up in, I honestly don't ever remember us doing communion. I don't know if it was a denominational thing. I don't know if they, they probably kicked me out while they did it. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I never did this. And then I ran from the Lord, and then I, <laughs> I received Christ. I started going to this church. And that morning, I remember the pastor saying, tonight we're going to do the Lord's Supper. And I thought, that is awesome. Because one of the things that I loved about my home church growing up, and some of you, if you went to a little bitty church, one of the things they did well was those church potluck dinners. And there was always these little old women, and she was known for her macaroni and cheese. And there was always a dude. There was always a dude that could cook. There was always, usually in one church, every guy. And he would make something, and it was amazing. Banana pudding. I mean, just, it, yeah, mm, so I'm getting hungry. So anyway, I was like, well, that's what it is. Because you give your best to the Lord, and so everybody's going to go home and make their best meal and bring it to the church. I swear to God, this is what I thought. So I show up that night starving, and we're in the service, and, I, and, and, and at the end of the service, they passed out some juice and a cracker. And I've got the juice, and I've got the cracker, and I'm like, Lord was skinny. Is, <laughs> this is all I ate for He definitely wasn't in southern Israel when he did this, right? And, and so I didn't understand it. So for years and years and years and years and years, I didn't understand the Lord's Supper until, until finally one day I was like, I've got to figure out where this comes from. And I began to study and, and found it actually has its roots because so, some people think it's something that Jesus started. Jesus didn't start it. He just changed the meaning of it. And it has its roots all the way back to the story of not Exodus, but the very first book in the Bible, Genesis. In, in the book of Genesis chapter 1, we're told that God created the heaven and the earth, and he just kind of spoke it, and it just happened, and there's, there's fish, and there's water, and there's birds, and there's animals, and bears, and lions, and tigers, and, and then, I mean, it's just awesome, right? And then he created Adam and Eve, and, and he gets ready. I mean, the, I want you to watch this, because when I, when I discovered this, it was life-changing for me in regards to the way that I viewed who God is. So God creates Adam and Eve, and he's getting ready to, to say his first words to them. And this is what the Genesis um, account of creation tells us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. I want to pause real quick. I want you, because when I discovered this, it, it literally changed my thought patterns. The first three words that God spoke to mankind is you are free. You're free. Now, I'd be willing to bet that the word you thought of 
to describe yourself was not free. Nobody in this room thought free. Nobody online thought free because we don't feel free. We feel weighed down with a lot of different stuff that either we did or that was done to us. But God's original intention is that you and I could walk in this thing called freedom. You are free. Now, if you really break it down even further, the first five words are you are free to eat, <laughs> which is evidence in the Bible for buffets. They're godly. Um, anyway, <laughs> but God did tell him, he said, there's this one tree. There's this one tree, and you don't, listen, just don't eat the fruit on that tree because if you eat it, like, you're going to die. Like, it's, like, just don't do it. It's this thing called sin. You don't want to do that. Don't mess with that. Just but look at all this stuff you got. Well, sure enough, Eve is in the garden one day, and in Genesis 3, the Bible says Satan comes in disguised as a snake and just says, hey, Eve, what about that tree over there? And she's like, oh, like, we can't eat of that tree, we can't, or we can't even touch it or we'll die. And the enemy tells Eve, listen, 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 listen. God's holding out on you. Like, I know him. Like, he's holding out on you. If you, if you eat of that, like, you're, you're going you're gonna to be amazing. And so she bought into the deception. She bought into the lie, and she ate the fruit. And then the Bible says she gave some to Adam, and he ate it. Now, I've had people ask me, why did Adam do that? <laughs> Naked women with fruit have a lot of power. That's all I'm going to say, right? Okay. Boy, pulled some people back in right there, right? Okay, so, <laughs> no, don't, just stay, stay, stay. The Bible says in verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I'm going to stop real quick. This is the first time shame ever enters the world. Because of the sin that was committed, they felt shame. And people that feel shame, trust me, I know this, people that feel shame think they need to cover themselves. And we cover our shame in lots of things. We cover it in language. We cover it with an addiction. We cover it with a habit. We cover it with I'm okay. We cover it through different sorts of things. But nearly every person in this room knows what it's like to carry the burden of shame. Because at some point in our lives, somebody tagged you, somebody labeled you, this is who you are, this is what you've done. And there are people in this room that fight it maybe daily on a weekly basis, the shame that the enemy tries to tag to us. And that's what we see happening right here. Adam and Eve are trying to cover their shame. They're so ashamed of who they are and what they've done. And they're absolutely certain that God wants nothing to do with them. The Bible says in verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, first of all, how insane is it that you think you could hide from God? I've got a friend and his little girl, um, when she would get in trouble, she would, <laughs> she would literally just do like this and close her eyes because she thought if she closed her eyes that nobody could see her. She thought she was completely invisible. I saw this one time. I was like, what? What is, she, what is she doing right now? He's like, she's in trouble. I was like, I don't think she knows. Oh, he's like, oh, she knows because she's invisible. 
And, and so anyway, um, he, he took care of the problem. It was, it was okay. But I thought, I, I went back to this verse, and I was like, that's what we try to do. There are so many people, there are so many people, and I've met them. Hey, I've been one of them, so I know this game, that try to hide from God because of the shame. There are people, I've talked to people and invited them to second chance, and they're like, oh, I could never go to church. Why? And they're like, you don't know what I've done. I'm like, you don't know what the pastor's done, all right? Come on. We are welcome, anybody. Come on in. Because, because I just decided I wanted to create an environment where guilt and shame doesn't drive people out. It actually draws people in because you know this is a place where God's going to meet you, and he doesn't want to make you feel more guilty or ashamed. He actually wants to take that away. God's walking in the garden not to get them, but to rescue them from what, they're, what they could have experienced and went through. So he's walking in the cool of the day, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, for years, I looked at this as God being this angry dad. I don't know if you had an angry dad. I had an angry dad. And he went, where are you? And, and you knew when he was asking that question, it wasn't because he wanted to help you, right? But I'm reading this differently, and the reason I read this differently is because reading through the Gospels over and over, you see the story of Jesus, and Jesus absolutely loved people far from God. Loved them. He's always crashing crazy parties and making the religious people angry. In fact, the only people he ever went off on were the hyper-religious. So when I see the heart of God through Jesus when I read this right here, I don't see God going, where are you? I see God going, hey, where are you? In other words, God wants to be connected with you. God wants a connection with every single person in this room, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. And you go, Perry, you don't know me. You're right. I don't know you, but I know as soon as Adam and Eve got, sinned, God comes after them to go, hey, we need to, I really really, really want to make this right. Does that change your perspective any? Because it changed mine. And then this next part, this next part really blew my mind. He answered, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. First time fear enters the scriptures. First time fear. There's a lot of people in this room that we, notice I didn't say you, we at times are completely consumed and controlled by fear. And we see it right here in the story. It's thousands of years old. The thing you're dealing with, the thing that, that fear thing, it's been around. God knows how to handle it. Because watch this. I, I, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, this phrase right here, just think about this. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that? It caused me to think of when I first started going to um, public school. I went from private school to public school in fifth grade. And um, fifth graders can be mean. Um, some of them, most of them at the school I went to. And I remember there was this group of kids one day, and um, they were just calling me, you're ugly, you're ugly, you're ugly. And I went home, and I was crying. I mean, I got really super upset. And my mom said, hey, what is the matter with you? I was like, nothing. I wouldn't tell her. I wouldn't tell her. Finally, I was like, um, you know, and I called their names. I was like, they told me I was, uh, you know, I, they, they, I said, there's some kids at school that, that said I'm ugly. And my mom looked at me. She said, who told you that you were ugly? And I was like, well, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. She looked at me. She said, they don't get to decide that. 
I'm the one that decides that, and you are not ugly. You go tell them tomorrow that your mama said, and so like the next day I went in, they were like, you're ugly. I was like, your mama, and because mama, anyway, that used to be the best cut down of all time. <laughs> but right, if you're a parent and somebody tells your child something like that, like, like how cruel would it be for you to be sitting there and your kid come home and he's just crying or she's crying? And what's wrong with you? So-and-so said I'm ugly. Well, they got that right. They got that right. They got it right. They got it right. Go to your room. Fix it. Like, like nobody in this room would do that. That would be the most cruel thing to do to a child. Yet we think God does that to us sometimes. I see God looking at Adam and Eve, and Adam's like, I was naked. And, and God's like, who told you that? Who told you that about you? Who, who told you? that that's who you are? Who told you that you were damaged? Who told you that you were no good? Who told you that you were worthless? Who told you that nobody would ever want anything to do with Who told you that? Because our Heavenly Father didn't. God said, who told you? Who told you that? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to, not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here I was fine. And she showed up. You notice, notice this is where blame comes in. This is where blame. It's not my fault. God, it's your fault because you put a woman here. So, God, I'm going to blame you and I'm going to blame her. Isn't that like us sometimes when we, when we have something in our lives that's just jacked up? Isn't it just easier to blame God and others? God, I was fine until that happened. I, I did it for years. God, I was fine. You took my mother. Now I'm... That's, that's the reason I'm living like this. God, I was fine, but th this person came along and did this, and God, that's, how I'm, that's why I'm living like this. Like, we blame God and others. And God, <laughs> God, God doesn't quite buy in to that, but he, he understands why we blame. Because, if we, as, listen, as long as we blame, we don't have to deal with it. So he's like, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent. So she blamed it on the devil because could we blame it on God, we blame it on others, or we blame it on the devil. So we got all three categories there, people that we blame it on, and, and, and it, it just gets kind of crazy. She actually says, the serpent deceived me, and there's people in this room, those of us, we've been deceived by someone or something. And, and, and so there's this dilemma going on in the garden because Adam and Eve clearly sinned, and there are clear consequences for sin. God laid it out, but the thought of Adam and Eve being destroyed, as I read the scriptures, I believe it absolutely broke God's heart. But there's a dilemma when it comes to sin. There's this dilemma, and I see it in the scriptures all through, that somebody's got to pay. Now, there's people in this room that you're like, I don't know. I don't know about this, but let, let's just let's play let's pretend. Let's pretend that you go home today, you get home, and your house has been broken into, and most of your possessions have been stolen. How many people would be okay with that? No, not many hands. You know why? No, nobody in this room would go, you know what? Let's be... Let's not judge. Let's not judge anybody. Let's just, let's just be kind. They probably needed it more than us. Let's just go to 
let's go to Target and buy, buy it all because you can get everything over there. Like, let's just go to Target and just buy. No, no, you know what you would do? Hey, I'm calling 911. They better get a SWAT team and helicopters out here right now because somebody's got to be. How, how about if you walked out into the parking lot and saw somebody had bumped into your car and dented your car? Would you be okay with that? No. You don't have to say yes because you're at church. No. You'd be like, listen, we just talked about the grace of God, but I don't have to show it. Somebody's got to pay, right? Because somebody, this is, this is an internal sense of justice I believe everybody carries because we're creating the image of God. So what happens? I mean, is God going to destroy Adam and Eve? No, the, the writer of Genesis tells us in Genesis 3.21, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, this, the reason this is so fascinating is because we're 21st century Americans, so we just read right over this. But if you actually dig in, most scholars and theologians believe that the Lord God made garments of skin. It was the skin from a lamb. So don't miss this. Up until this point in human history, nothing had ever died. But God took a lamb and sacrificed it and made coverings for Adam and Eve. So don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. Because of the blood of an innocent lamb, those who were marked with shame and guilt were allowed to go free. And that's the foundation for this thing we call communion. It goes on into the book of Exodus because in the book of Exodus, the Israelites were, were enslaved to the Egyptians. And God, God's desire was to set the slaves free. God doesn't want anybody to live in slavery. So God's getting ready to set the slaves free, and he sets them free through a process. How do you know that freedom comes through a process? Because for years and years and years, I remember if you had a problem in the church, you'd go forward, and somebody would, like, smack you on the head or put some little oil on a cross or pray for you, and you wouldn't get well. And they would say, well, you just don't have enough faith, or you're not strong enough, or you're, you're probably not even saved. And then people would walk away from church because they didn't feel. But I've, I've understood that, that, like, salvation is immediately. But if you're going to walk in freedom, it's a process. It's a process. God sent 10 plagues in the book of uh, Exodus on the land of Egypt. And the last one, the last one was the, the, last one was the kicker. God said, I'm going to send the death angel over Egypt. And he is going to kill the firstborn son of every living creature. Now, I'm just kind of curious. How many of, you, how, how many of you men are the firstborn son? Would you raise your hand? Oh, wow, yeah, a lot, lot, you'd, you'd have just been screwed. That's sorry, you're just dead only because you're the firstborn. Now, if you're the firstborn, you know what you're thinking? That's not fair. I mean, you killed my little brother. I mean, I mean but, but, but like, like, that's not fair. But God said, here's the deal, though. Here's the deal, here's the deal. There's a way out. There's a way out. Go out into the field and find a, anybody want to take a guess at what kind of animal it was? A lamb. Find one that's, perfect, no spot, sacrifice it, take the blood from that innocent lamb and put it over the door frame of the house. And this is what God promised in Exodus chapter 12. He said, when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on top and the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. In other words, because 
of the blood of an innocent lamb, those who were marked for condemnation were allowed to walk in freedom. Not because of what they did, but because of the sacrifice that God provided. And then he said this, then he said this, because this is cool. He said, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants when you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised. Observe this ceremony. And so this ceremony became something known as the Passover. In fact, um, Jewish people all over the world still celebrate the Passover celebration till this day. It's, it's a big deal. So if we're, if we're reading through the scriptures, you've got to hit the fast forward button and go forward like, like several hundred years, this man named Jesus shows up on the scene. And, man, I just, I'm just fascinated with him. But when he shows up on the scene, there's a guy named John the Baptist, and he points at Jesus. And anytime we see the scriptures, the scriptures are always pointing back at what happened but pointing ahead at what's going to be. And John the Baptist looks at Jesus, and the very first thing that John says about Jesus, he said, um, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the That is loaded. Not the Lamb of God that's going to say some cool stuff that we can get put on a t-shirt. Not the Lamb of God who comes up with coffee cup verses. Like, didn't say that. First of all, let's think for a minute. The animal that was sacrificed in Genesis, we said it was a, and then the animal sacrificed in Exodus was a, so when a Jewish person is saying the lamb of God, he's saying that guy right there has came to sacrifice. Why? For, to take away, to take away. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus came to take away, not make you feel guilty. Religion, the enemy is the one who makes you feel guilty. I was, only in the church can a girl get pregnant at 18 years old, and when she's 42, she's the 18-year-old that got pregnant. Am I, am I, did I tell a lie? Only, only in the church can somebody get arrested for drug possession at 15, and when they're 55, they're still the person that got arrested for drug possession. But Jesus didn't come to remind us of our sin. The Bible says that Jesus came to take away our sin. So when we come to Christ, he's not, hey, you did this and you did this. He's like, give me that, I'll take it. Give me that, I'll take it. Give me that, I'll take it. You know why? Because he wants us to walk in freedom, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from fear. That's why John pointed out Jesus and said, that's the Lamb of God, and the reason he's here is to take away the sin of the world. That's a big mission. So Jesus started his ministry, and it went for about three years, and then Jesus, did this. Jesus celebrated the Passover. In fact, Luke tells us in his gospel, then came the day of unleavened bread, or, or you know, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. So Jesus sent Peter and John, and they go to this place, and they get the meal set up. It's a place in Israel called the Upper Room. I've been there several times. It's, it's just, it, it's, it's unbelievable. And as he's getting ready to celebrate the Passover, because listen, it was a celebration. It wasn't a somber occasion. It was a celebration, like we are free. That's what they were celebrating. And when, when you've been trapped and then you're free, you celebrate. 
And Jesus said this as he's given some instructions. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. In other words, one of the, one of the first elements of Passover, one of the first elements of what we're getting ready to do in just a few minutes is thanksgiving. It's literally stopping and thanking God. God, thank you. One of the things I was sharing with um, my daughter the other day is I'm, I, I'm like, baby, I thank God that he's always been with me. Like always. Like even when I wasn't a Christian, <laughs> he was with me. Like I can look, I can see it now. And she asked me, she said, Daddy, didn't, didn't you tell me that you were like homeless at one point? I was like, I did, baby, but you know what? He was with me. Like because I could, I could find a couch to crash on. I, 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 he gave me a job in a restaurant so I could get food. It, he was with me. He didn't give me food. He gave me a job and I could get food. Like that, that, he, was, he was with me. He was with me when I was, when I was in the depths of wrestling with drinking too much alcohol. He was with me in rehab. He was with me when I was thinking about taking my life. He was with me when I came back home. He was with me when I said, let's open up a church online and just see if anybody will tune in. He was with me when we found this facility. He was with me on opening Sunday. He has never left me, and he's never left you either. He's never forsaken you. He's always had your back. We have a God. Listen, we have a God. We have a God, because see, what you've gone through, it should have killed somebody else, but Satan made a mistake when he didn't take you out, because he, because God, because he didn't take you out. God has your back, and you're still standing, so if you can't find anything to thank him for, thank him that you got some air in your lungs today, because there's still a purpose for your life. Thanksgiving is huge, but then he said this, then he said this. He said, and then he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is huge because Jesus, Jesus took bread. It would have looked pretty much like this, this, unleavened bread, and he broke it. So just in a little while, when we take the bread, it's a reminder that Jesus, like when we hold this piece of bread, when we, we get this little piece of bread, it's a reminder that God came here. He did not put himself on top of a mountain and say, let's see how many of you fools can get up here. He said, I'm going there to take away the sin of the world. So when we're holding the bread, it's a reminder, Jesus came here and gave his life for you, for you to take away your sin your guilt, your shame. The body of Jesus was broken so that we could be free. And then he said this, then he said this, and this, was, this is unbelievable. What he said here, what he said here, it's, it still gets him in trouble. I'll show you. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
Now, we know, we know the story of Jesus on the cross, and he shed his blood. We've, we've heard that, if you, especially if you've ever been in church, you've heard that. But don't, don't miss the power of what he's saying right here. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant, the new covenant, the new covenant. What was the old covenant? The Old Testament. I've had people say, well, I still, I still believe and follow the Old Testament. No, you don't. You know how I know you don't? Because you didn't kill a goat this week. You didn't kill a lamb. You didn't kill a bird. You didn't kill a bull. Now, some of y'all are like, actually, I did. Okay, you're from Belton, and we're glad you're here. But, but, the, re- but the rest of the people, <laughs> nobody, nobody did that. L- listen, the Old Testament, I'm not you know, dissing the Old Testament or whatever, but in the Old Testament, you, if you did this kind of sin, you had to bring this kind of animal. If you did this kind of sin, you had to bring this kind of animal. And there were certain days you had to come. There were certain offerings you had to bring. You had to do all this stuff. And that was the old covenant. And that was how sin had to be paid for. But all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and says, this right here, what I'm getting ready to do, I'm changing everything. No longer is this celebration about a bunch of dusty Israelites that walked out of Egypt. And no longer is it about fulfilling every, or dotting every I and crossing the every T. Freedom is not found in the old covenant. He's saying, Freedom is found in a relationship with me. And the way it's going to happen is my blood, my blood, not an animal's blood, but the blood of the perfect lamb of God, as John said, was, was going to be poured out for the sins of the entire world. And here's what's fascinating about the old covenant. On days you would go to the temple and you would have, like there were five different types of sacrifices and there's seven things you had to do within each sacrifice. I mean, there's all, it's just loaded with symbolism. But the priest would, you know, they would sacrifice this, they would sacrifice this, they would sacrifice this. And at the end of the sacrifice, the priest would make an announcement. Tradition says the priest would stand over all the people after the final sacrifice had been made and the priest would say, it is finished, which is fascinating. Because when Jesus is hanging on the cross in John chapter 19, verse 30, the Bible says when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Meaning sin, guilt, shame has been paid for. And now you, now me, we we can be free. Most of us don't feel free. I had an experience this week. Um, this really happened, and I have a witness, okay? Because some people go, your stories, there's no way these happen to you. They all, they're all true. I got a witness for this one. I had to run an errand on Thursday. In fact, uh, Ed, who's on staff, and I had to, um, we went and bought the piano that I was playing a while ago. We had to go buy it. So we're walking from my office, our office is downtown, to my apartment because I was going to drop my, little briefcase shoulder bag thing off and then we're going to kind of keep going. I was about a quarter of the way to my um, home and Ed and I were just talking and I locked eyes with this guy. I can still see him and he, he's, he, he was bent down to get something and he looked up at me and our eyes locked. I've never seen him before and I've lived downtown for like a year and a half, never seen this guy and he looked at me and I looked at him and he's like, you are a sorry mother effer said it and I went okay and I just I just Ed looked at me I was like just keep just keep walking just keep walking I said he'll he'll be fine he followed me hey hey you sorry SOB I'm talking to you hey you sorry MFR I'm talking to you 
Hey, just keep going, man. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. And some of you are like, why, why didn't you do anything? Because I didn't know this guy. But then I got in my house. And I walked inside, and I kind of shut the door, and there's glass there. And he, he reached down and picked up the napkin. He spit in it. He threw it up against the, the glass. And he looked at me, and he said, I'm coming in there. And I just looked at him, and I smiled, and I said, no, no, you're not. He tried to define me and distract me and discourage me all the way down the sidewalk. But once I got to the house, he wasn't going to talk to me like that anymore. And he wasn't going to discourage me anymore. And he definitely wasn't going to get me anymore. You say, Peter, what's that have to do with me? It's very simple. This morning, you're in the house. You're in the house. And I don't know what the enemy said to you on the way to church. I don't know what the enemy woke you up with this morning. I don't know what kind of negative thoughts you've had to wrestle with maybe this week. But today, you're in the house of God. And he says you belong to him. And if you are in Christ, the word, the word, the word. If somebody asks you today, describe yourself in one word. I just want you to say, forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. You know, what I did when I was 18, what I did 18 days ago, what I did 18 hours ago, I'm, I'm forgiven because I'm in Christ. I'm forgiven. I'm a brand new creation. I'm unconditionally loved. I'm accepted. I'm, I'm, I'm forgiven. If you're in Christ, you are forgiven. And so when we take this meal in just a little while and we celebrate it, we're not just celebrating something that happened 2,000 years ago. We're celebrating something that's happened in us, that we are forgiven and we are free because of the blood of an innocent lamb. We're able to be free. So before we take communion, could we stand for an invitation? And Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you, God, that we are not who the world says we are. We are who you say we are. I pray for every single person in this room that this week, and maybe even today, has felt condemnation, that has felt guilt, that has felt shame, that you will remind us, Jesus, that you came to take away the sin of the world. And in you, we can walk in freedom. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and you've never received Christ. You've never asked Jesus to come into your life. And, and maybe that's why you don't feel forgiven or you don't feel free. Jesus, giving your life to him, giving your life to him, forgiven right there on the spot, everything, past, present, and future. And all you've got to do, he made it this easy, all you got to do is ask him into your life. So right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to ask Jesus into your life, I just want you to pray right where you're standing and just say, Jesus Christ, I give my life to you. I receive your forgiveness. Come into my life and make me brand new. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you just prayed to receive Christ, if you just prayed that prayer, I'm going to count to three. And when I hit three, I want you to put your hand in there because I, want to, I just want to pray for you and celebrate with you. One, two, three. If you prayed to receive Christ, would you raise your hand? Oh, that's awesome. Anybody else? Wow, 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 wow. Thank you, Jesus, for every 
single hand that just went up. God, I pray that you would just wash them right now with the fact that they are free in you. They are brand new. In Jesus' name.